If we could have some manpower right after church to head back to the fellowship hall to get some tables set up for garage sale giveaway. I remembered. Well, if you could go back there and help out, we would appreciate that. So some guys go back and help out with the tables for garage sale giveaway would be appreciated. All right, as you're going to Acts 14 and Matthew 28, let's do the smart thing and uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, your word has so much to say this morning. We're just excited to see what you have in store. Help us to not just hear it, but to live it, to learn it, to apply it, and to make a difference for eternity in all that we do and say through your spirit. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to be finishing up here, uh, Acts 14. And as we're going to do verses 21 through 28, this is finishing up Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, we got a slide up there. We've been looking at this one for the last couple weeks here. Just a reminder, the red is where he's going, the blue is on his way back. If you remember correctly, this first missionary journey took about two years. took about two years. So as we're going to do this, we're at the final leg of this missionary journey. We're going to leave this up here as we read through these different towns. That way you have a visual as you can kind of look at this. Verse 21 of Acts 14 says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Paphilia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atelia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come... And gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Once again, this is about two years, two-year missionary journey. Now, the main focus of this, the main focus of this is verse 21. It says, and they made many disciples. For you, King James out there, it says they taught many, which literally means in the Greek that they made many disciples. This has been gone an ongoing theme in our study here through the book of Acts, that this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be making disciples. When we first started going through Acts a while ago, I sat down and I went through Acts personally, and I just started listing everything that they did in the book of Acts. And I just started saying, okay, this is how the church was created and designed, and I wanted to compare it to what we're doing now in the 21st century church. And I said, we want the church to be like the church. It's supposed to be. So we did a message a while ago, I think it was in March, and basically the point of the message was the 21st century church is broken. Because the way we look at church today is not the way that Paul talked about it in the epistles or how it was carried out in the book of Acts. The way we look at church today is that there's this group of people that is the church staff. And they basically take care of everything spiritual for the church. And it's just the obligation of the body just to show up, sing some songs, do a complimentary service in the back every now and then, and let the church staff, those people, take care of everything. And when you really study out the book of Acts, that's not the way it's supposed to be. The way it's supposed to be is that we as a body of Christ get together, we come together, and what we offer you on Sundays, we offer you a time of fellowship, a time of worship, a time of service, a time of accountability and teaching, and then we teach you to go out there to go make disciples. Now, why don't we do that? There's lots of reasons why we struggle with it, but someone gave me an article this week, and it really kind of hit me in one of the points in it, and it said this. It says, the average Christian feels unqualified. The pastor says this, from time to time, people in my congregation will bring their friends or family to me, and so I can tell them about Jesus. I have to challenge them to step up and do it themselves. 
He points out that in Acts 8, 1 through 4, that it wasn't the apostles, but rather those he calls, quote-unquote, normal Christians who took the message of Jesus out into the world beyond Jerusalem. See, our calling in life is to go make disciples. Verse 21, they made many disciples. Now, when you make a disciple, it doesn't mean that you're creating your own church, your own following. No. Disciple means that you follow the teachings of a teacher. What we do when we say let's make disciples is let's go encourage people and teach people to follow the teachings of Christ, to have salvation, to truly know what it means to know Christ. Can you put that next slide up there? This has been on the front of your bulletin here in our study through the book of Acts. How simple is this? Think of that person that you're trying to talk to. If they're not saved, they're to the left of the cross. They're under that that idea of evangelism, that you're supposed to be telling them about Jesus, explaining them the need for a Savior and their sin and heaven and hell, and that idea of being born again. They then get converted at the cross conversion, and then to the right is discipleship. And that's where we take that person that has claimed Christ, and we say, now we want to encourage you to go deeper in your walk and relationship with Jesus. We've said this out here many times before. The way the system is supposed to work is that you should always be discipling somebody, and you should always be discipled by somebody. Imagine if that's what it would be as a body of Christ, where if you have that moment in your week where you say, I want to encourage that person in their walk with Christ, and I'm going to be encouraged by this other person. This is the system. Too often church has become, let's just all get together, like-minded people, sing some songs, have some fellowship, go home, and by golly, for seven days, let's not try to talk to a non-believer. Then let's come back in one week and talk about how bad non-believers are. We're called to make disciples. We're called to be out there to do that. In fact, specifically, specifically, they do four different things here in Acts 14. And I want to ask you some questions. Now, I have to give a little bit of background about this. Because when it comes to asking questions, this is what I've noticed. I've been doing the pastor thing out here for 15 years, and I've realized this. If I go up and I ask somebody how they're doing spiritually, I get one of three responses. How are you doing spiritually? The first response is just honest. I'm struggling with this. I'm doing good with this. Could you pray for me with this? Can you do that? Hey, that's an honest. That's a brother-sister relationship in Christ. How can I encourage you? The second answer is what I call the complete sidestep answer. How are you doing spiritually? I'm doing okay, but hey, how are you doing? Okay, you don't want to talk about it. I get it. The third one, the angry response. How are you doing spiritually? Why? Why are you asking? What's going on? See, it's amazing how when you just try to ask questions, people sometimes can take that the wrong way. I have four questions to ask you this morning. And know my heart. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Not James. People ask questions all the time. My wife and I just changed some of our life insurance stuff earlier this year. Some lady I never met came and asked me the most personal questions anybody could ever ask me. I answered them. Took my boys to the dentist just a week or so ago. Took the older four. I had to answer about 20, 25 questions for each kid repeatedly again and again. They ask questions. You answer. So let's just ask these questions here real quick. Look at the first one, verse 21. They made many disciples. Simple question. When's the last time you made a disciple? When's the last time you made a disciple? Now, once again, we start thinking, well, that's, that's not my job. I'm not a pastor. No, no, no. We're the body of Christ. We're called to make disciples. When's the last time we made a disciple? How about the next one? Verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. When's the last time you strengthened the soul of a disciple? You strengthened somebody's walk 
in Christ. Or how about the next one there? Exhorting them to continue in the faith. When's the last time you encourage someone to go deeper in their walk with Christ? And the last question right here, as they said in verse 23, they prayed with fasting. When's the last time you prayed with fasting? Now, these questions, once again, are not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. These questions are not trying to make you feel bad. These are legitimate questions to stop and say, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing spiritually? Am I making disciples? Am I strengthening disciples? Am I encouraging disciples? Am I praying and fasting over things? Because this is what the church is supposed to be doing. We're supposed to ask these questions. Take a look at this next one here. We've got a couple verses I just wanted to share with you. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you indeed are disqualified? Examining ourselves. This is a good thing to do. Is to stop and examine and say, Am I doing the things I'm supposed to be doing? It goes right along with Galatians 6. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Remember that phrase. The satisfaction of a job well done. I know one of the greatest moments in, in, in my life is when I see somebody grow spiritually. You have the satisfaction of you just did something for eternity. See, there's, there's satisfactions in life. I, I mowed my yard this week and I got it done. It's like, boy, the yard looks good. Guess what? One week later, it needs to be mowed again. You have that meal and that meal's really good. Five hours later, you're hungry again. You have a really good day at work and you really accomplish something. You get home, but guess what? You're going back tomorrow and it may not go as good. Those are temporary satisfactions of a job well done. Spiritually speaking, when you get involved in someone's life and you make a disciple, strengthen a disciple, encourage a disciple, pray and fast over somebody, that is a spiritual satisfaction of, Lord, I'm impacting eternity. And it makes a huge difference. You know what the problem with these questions are? We can become very legalistic with them. We can start saying, okay, I got it, that's my job. Make disciples, strengthen disciples, encourage disciples, fast and pray. I'm going to start doing that right now. Now be careful. I encourage that and I want you to do that. Is that the leading of the Lord? Or is that just a fleshly response to make myself feel better? I did something. Go with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 2. We've got to be careful sometimes when we start doing things... We have to stop and ask ourselves, why am I doing this? What's my motive behind this? There's times where I have to ask myself as a pastor, why do I care? Do I care because as a Christian, as a born-again believer, I'm called to care for the body of Christ? Or am I doing this because this is my job? You know, Dawn asked me one time, as things were getting kind of busy out here at church and other things were popping up. And she asked a real probing question I never forgot. She goes, would you still be doing those things if you weren't the pastor? Or are you only doing it because that's your job? Wow. Am I, is that something I'm really called to do and I'm doing it? Or am I doing it because I feel like I have to? I tell you, have-tos will suck the joy right out of your life. Legalism will do it. Look at this church in Revelation 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Look at that compliment. 
Wouldn't you like it if Jesus would say that about you? I mean, put your name in there. Verse 2. I know James's works, his labor, his patience, that he can't bear those who are evil. He's tested those who say they're apostles and are not and found them liars. That he has persevered and he has patience, has labored for my name's sake and not become weary. Boy, just make me the fourth member of the Trinity. I mean, didn't that be great? Problem is, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you left your first love. They had, they had all these works. They had all these things they were doing, but their heart wasn't right. I'm telling you right now, you can go out and make disciples, strengthen disciples, encourage disciples, pray and fast, and it would all be good, right things to do. But if your heart's not in it, and it's not where the Lord is leading it, it's becoming a legalism. And it's no longer the Spirit leading. It's just you doing it because that's what you're supposed to do. And it makes you temporarily feel better. It gets a little bit of a conviction, a burden off your shoulders because, look, I did something. It's kind of like the daily devotion. Look, I read my daily devotion. Good, it's done. I can move on with my day. Or am I really reading it to study and to grow? We can do the right things and have the wrong motives and we think we're doing okay? Do we have an earnest desire for those four questions? Make disciples, strengthen disciples, encourage disciples, pray and fast. My middle son, Kenan, just turned six yesterday. His new favorite thing to do is he loves to fast. And he'll come up and ask if he can fast. So what happens is he gets up in the morning, and now you've got to know the background to this. He gets up in the morning. He hates eating breakfast. He hates eating breakfast. I don't know what it is. He doesn't want to do it. So about 10.30, he finally gets hungry. Dad, can I eat? And it's like, buddy, you've been up for a few hours. You need to get up and eat right away. So when he gets up in the morning, I'll say, okay, Ken, and you need to go eat breakfast. And he'll be like, you know, I really just want to fast today. Now, at first, I thought it's time for me to write my book on parenting because obviously I got it all figured out. And I would say, you want to go fast? Oh, buddy, you're the greatest little guy in the world. Go into your bedroom, pray for a little bit. And so he would go into his room, shut the door. He'd come out a little bit later with this big smile on his face. And I said, did you pray? Oh, yeah, I did. I said, okay, buddy, go play, you know? Now, he could have went in there and played with Legos. I don't know what he was doing. I started realizing the reason he wants to fast every morning is he doesn't want to eat breakfast. He came up to me this morning. We're getting ready to leave for the 8.30 service. It's about 7.30. He comes in and knocks on the door, and I'm getting ready. He goes, uh, I said, make sure you get ready. Get dressed, get clothes on, eat breakfast. He goes, um, instead of eating breakfast, can I? And when Kenan doesn't, can't think of a word, he snaps. He does this. He goes, can I, um, what's that word again? I said, what? That thing where you don't eat. I said, fast? He goes, yeah. He goes, can I fast this morning? I said, no. I said, wait a second. I just started realizing, you you don't want to fast. You just don't want to eat breakfast. And you're using this spiritual legalism to make yourself better. Buddy, go eat a Pop-Tart. That's spiritual for you this morning, you know? (laughs) We sometimes do this. We sometimes feel we're not doing enough spiritually. So we have these little legalistic moments of strengthen a disciple, encourage a disciple, fast and pray, make a disciple. My goodness, part of being the body of Christ is this is what we're called to do. This is not something we just do. This is our calling. This is our ministry. This is our life. I ask you to go to Matthew 28. Can you go there with me now? Matthew 28. Let's go back and remind ourselves of what Jesus said from the very beginning of this. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18. 
And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When we did first started our study here, and we talked about how the 21st century church is broken, we went to this passage, and we just simply said, and once again, not trying to pick, let's just ask probing questions. Verse 19, when's the last time you made a disciple? When's the last time you baptized somebody? When's the last time you taught somebody to observe all things that God's commanded? That's what we're called to do. This concept of church, though, has become I come, I show up, I get fed, I leave, I come back in a week. You come to get trained and encouraged to go out and make a difference in the world. I am not the disciple maker. We're the disciple makers. We strengthen disciples. We encourage disciples. We're praying and fasting. It's a team effort as the body of Christ. Are we doing that? If we really want to be like the book of Acts, these are the things we do. It really convicted me when I sat down and just started going through Acts. Wow, boy, they prayed a lot, didn't they? Boy, they trusted the Lord a lot, didn't they? Boy, they really allowed the Lord and the Spirit to move in these amazing ways, didn't they? They were really allowed themselves to get completely, utterly uncomfortable, didn't they? But yet, we as believers in the church today, we do everything we can to make ourselves comfortable. We really could learn a lot from this. God's called me to make disciples, to make a difference. Why don't I do that? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe we don't do it because we start thinking of all the excuses. Boy, life is busy right now. Work's really busy, health-wise. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It's amazing how we have all these excuses for something that God has asked us to do when really the truth of the matter is we don't make disciples because we really just don't want to. Disciple is just a follower of a teacher. The teacher is Jesus Christ, and I want to point people towards that teaching of Jesus Christ. The simplicity of discipleship, let me repeat myself. I want to help you grow in your walk with Christ, and I want you to help me grow in my walk with Christ. Let's disciple each other. That may be a phone call once a week. That may be texting on a regular basis. It may be emails. It may be getting together and grabbing a bite. I've done all the above. If somebody says, hey, let's get together once a week, let's get together once a week. Let's do it. Gals, if you want to be discipled, I would love to hook you up with another gal out here at church that would take you deep in your walk with Christ. Guys, if you want to be discipled, let's get together. If my time frame doesn't allow it, there are plenty of other guys here I'd like to hook you up with. Let's do this. Because as you encourage me in my walk with Christ, and I encourage you, guess what happens? Eternity is infected, affected for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's supposed to happen. We have never been called as a church to sit here, twiddle our thumbs, and wait for Jesus to return. We're supposed to work, get out there, and make a difference. Can you go with me real quick to Luke? Luke 15. Let's look at what Christ asked us to do. Now let's talk about why we don't do it. Luke 15. Remember, these questions aren't here to make you feel bad. These questions aren't here to make you uncomfortable. These questions are to stop and say, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Luke 15. Great parable here. And we've talked about this parable many times before. Verse 3 of Luke 15. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Can you put that last uh, slide up there? We make a lot of jokes about this idea. I've always told you, what does Jesus look like? He always wears white, he has a blue sash, nice trimmed beard, and he always has a lamb around his neck. He must, for 33 years, he carried a lamb around his neck. 
the, the concept of this lamb around the neck comes from Luke 15, verse 5. When he finds the lost sheep, he puts it on his shoulders rejoicing. The idea is this. This sheep wandered off. The sheep is not where it's supposed to be. The sheep is not in a safe spot. So what the shepherd has to do to keep the sheep safe is take it and make it as close as it possibly can to him. You can't get much closer to a sheep than around your neck. That's about the closest you can get. That sheep's around his neck. Guess what? That thing's not wandering off anywhere. As a shepherd, you know exactly what it is. We are called as a church, when we see a sheep wander off, we're called to go get involved in that person's life and say, I'm going to throw you around my neck because I care. Now, we struggle with this, don't we? We, we sit in our spots and there's somebody, a row up, five seats to the right, we don't know them. We're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We will spend all of eternity together in the glory of our Savior, Jesus. But it's awkward for us to go say hi to somebody that we've never met. You guys are all looking to see who's one row up and five over. I know you are. <laughs> Thanks for paying attention to the message. Yeah. You know, we talked about when we first started going through Acts here, what would happen if we just take the directory and just pray through the directory each week? And those people that you don't know, that you would stop and say, hey, next time I see them at church on Sunday, I'm, I'm going to go say hi to them. Don't be creepy. I found you in the directory. I wanted to see you. No, no, I'm not saying creepy. Don't do that. Or what would happen if you look through the directory and you see somebody and you think, I haven't seen them in a while. See, this is what happens. Somebody hasn't seen somebody in a while. They usually come up to me and say, hey, where's so-and-so? And I'll say, like, you know what? Uh, they haven't been here. Why don't you contact them? Their response is, well, I, I didn't mean I wanted to contact them. I just kind of wondered where they were at. Obviously, the Lord led you. What's wrong with shooting them an email, a text, or a card just saying, hey, miss you? Well, that's, that's the church's job. We're the church. We're the church. Sometimes we've got to be willing to throw dirty animals around our neck. We, I don't know what's happened to my house. If you drive by my house, we keep getting animals. We have two goats, nine ducks, and five chickens. Not including the eight kittens and the big cats and the dog. We'll throw the five kids in there too. Okay. <laughs> There's just these animals. And so I don't know why last night I was out doing something. I was getting late and I just wanted to, I wanted to catch one of our ducks. So I caught one of the ducks. And if you've ever caught a duck before, they're the fattest little things. They're cute, but they're, they're just fat. So I grabbed this duck and I got him on my side. And I said, I'm going to take the duck in the house. Because I'm going to show it to Tyrus and the kids and stuff. So I take the duck in the house. And here's the duck, guys. Let's talk about the duck. So I take the duck back outside, set him down. As I put the duck back, I look down. And the duck left a reminder on my shirt and on my shorts, I carried a duck. I think sometimes the reason why we don't want to disciple people is it's messy. If you carry an animal around your neck, you know what's going to happen? going to get messy. So I am spraying off my shirt. I'm spraying off my shorts. Dawn taps me on the window and says, hey, when you're done cleaning up your shorts and shirts, why don't you come up here and clean up the kitchen floor? <laughs> if you truly want to disciple somebody, be prepared to throw them around your neck. Be prepared to get dirty. Prepared for your house to get dirty. Prepared for your life to get messy. That's the cost of being a disciple. And if you sit here and say that's too much, just look to Jesus hanging on the cross. We have a tendency to do whatever we can in this world to make it as comfortable as we can until Jesus returns or our death. When really this is our season to work. 
This is our season to get involved in people's lives. Let's go back to those questions one more time. Verse 21, they made many disciples. When was the last time you made a disciple? Verse 22, strengthen the souls of the disciples. When's the last time you strengthened a disciple? Verse 22, exhorting them to continue in the faith. When's the last time you encouraged somebody to continue in the faith? Verse 23, prayed and fasted. When's the last time you prayed and fasted? Once again, I am not trying to pick. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I am not. These are legitimate questions I ask myself. Am I doing these things? So that way when I get up here, I don't want to be disqualified. I want to encourage you to do it because this is what matters. It's the kingdom of God expanding. And I don't mean numerically because we don't care about the numbers. It's about the souls. It's about eternity. That's what matters. So what you see here in Acts 14 is this system that God set up. And you also see this being uh, mentioned here. And uh, where was that ever? They mentioned that they prayed with fasting and they met with the elders there. Um, verse 24, and after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. When they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Telia. And you see them going around and making this circle and doing what they're supposed to be doing. And what did they do as they made the circle? Verse 23, pointed elders in every church. There is a spiritual system that God has set up. And I think it's the responsibilities of the elders of the church to keep this vision going. My job as a pastor is to teach you to go deeper in your walk in relationship with Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, my responsibility is to proclaim to you salvation. Then to send you guys out into the week to say, now go make disciples. Go do it. Strengthen, encourage, pray fast. And then when you come back next week, encourage you to go do it again. This is what we do. And to be honest, it goes back to that verse in Galatians 6.4. This is where we're finally going to feel like we have the accomplishment of a job well done. There are so many things in this world that we can do and do again, and we'll have that temporary moment of satisfaction. What really matters most is making a difference for all of eternity. Go make disciples through the leading of the Spirit and all that we do and all that we say. Now, what I wanted to finish with here this morning was communion. And the way we've been doing communion lately is, uh, usually I've had somebody else come up and do communion, either Jonathan, Rich, or Renee, and I go in the back and pray with you guys. I want to do it differently here today. If you wouldn't mind, go with me to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There's a great passage in here that talks about this idea of communion. It goes right along with what we're saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives the background here to communion. If you look in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We believe it's important during this time of communion to have a time of self-examination. To stop and ask, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing spiritually? Am I living the life that I'm supposed to be? Keep it simple. If you're married, are you the husband you're called to be? Are you the wife you're called to be? If you have kids at home, are you the father you're called to be? Are you the mother you've called to be? Are you the friend? I mean, am I the believer that God has called me to be? Let's examine myself and see if that is true. 